Welcome in to another edition of West of Everest. Lee Benson alongside Grant Benson. Week four of the college football season is upon us, and that means Big 12 play is here. The Sooners try to avoid a letdown coming off that blowout win over Nebraska in Lincoln when Oklahoma hosts Kansas State Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Thank you to all of you out there who've recently left us a nice five-star rating on Spotify. I have noticed that the number of ratings has jumped up a bit. Also, thank you to those who've left us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It is much appreciated. Thankfully, our podcasts are populating once again on iTunes because we know a lot of you out there like to use that app to consume the show. So again, good thing that everything is working just the way it's supposed to. Here's where I want to begin here, Grant. Oklahoma, big blowout, went over Nebraska on the road. The team was very focused, very ready to play going into that game. And uh, aside from the first series from the Huskers, Oklahoma played uh, essentially flawless the rest of the way. This is the first time as a head coach that Brent Venables must make sure his team avoids the classic letdown performance against a beaten Kansas State team coming off its first loss of the year, a surprising loss at home to Tulane. Grant, I ask you, are you confident in Brent Venables' ability to have this Oklahoma team ready to go by kickoff Saturday night? Honestly, yes, I am. But that fact alone gives me great pause, right? And I think that's, I, I think that's probably the same for a lot of fans as well. And But also, I, I, I need to acknowledge that there was... If you go and listen to, you know, we were saying it on this podcast, Lee, if you go and listen to any anybody else who does podcasts, Sooner Scoop, Through the Keyhole, Gabe Teddy, any of those guys, everyone was saying that they were they were worried about the Nebraska game. It only kind of seemed like there was it, it was it was just a, a different, you know, part of the fan base, maybe on message boards and other places that were showing a lot of confidence that they were gonna go in and, and blow out Nebraska. You know what? That that part of the fan base was right. And so I think a lot of those same people are saying the same thing about Kansas State going into this game. And so, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think that perspective is justified based off what we have seen, especially last week from these two teams. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. Last week's performance against Nebraska has given me confidence against this K-State, against this K-State team. But also my head is telling me, ah, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. My heart this time around is saying, uh, OU should should handle this game pretty easily, uh, but sort of the history and my and you know knowing the struggles that this team and a lot of the same players on this team have had with K State in the past, my head is saying ah, don't take this one for granted. I'm with you though. I'm certainly confident in Brent Venables' ability to get this team ready. And you know what? I I think this is a fair thing to say. Just and I think a lot of the maybe the entire fan base. Not maybe, definitely the entire fan base would agree with me, and not just the fan base, people that follow this team and cover this team. I'm certainly a lot more confident in Brent Venables than I am in Lincoln Riley in having this team prepared for this a game like this in, in that respect, uh, especially considering how successful Kansas State has been against Oklahoma over the past few seasons. Uh, again, I mean, that, that means something only in the sense that Riley is gone, Brent Venables is here, and yet Brent Venables obviously is still a, a rookie head coach going into his fourth game. So how much evidence do we have of him uh, having the team ready? Just three games. That's it. And you can make the argument, Kent State, aside from the defense, I mean, the defense was ready to go against Kent State. The offense wasn't. Uh, it took him two quarters. It took him a quarter and, you know, 13 minutes or whatever it was to get, to get going. Uh, but, you know, I think 
the odds of Oklahoma having a letdown game in year one of the Brent Venables era is actually pretty low, or actually pretty low. Like, does that mean that OU's never going to have a letdown game as long as Brent Venables is the coach? No, of course not. This is, this is college football. Everyone's human. That's impossible. There's always going to be such things as, you know, down games, letdown games, things like that. But in year one, like, he's super excited, super energetic. That's the way Brent Venables always is anyways. And so is the team. The team has taken after their head coach, his personality. So I can totally see, on the other hand, like a coach, let's say he's going into his sixth year as a head coach. Maybe you start to feel a little more comfortable. Maybe you don't work as hard in the week. Maybe you, know, maybe you think you are, but there's some things that you've kind of let slip a bit. You know, and, and maybe you, you don't hold the team as accountable as you normally do in certain weeks. And then, boom, letdown game after you have a, a, you know, a, a big win on the road over a traditional rival you get upset you know it potentially ruins your season in a way I don't see that happening in year one under Brent Venables I do not believe just you because again of, of what I just said can you knock on it super hard and super quick I can but I know you I'm just not really a superstitious person but also at the same time I I, I think you're I, I, I get what you're saying but also there exists a reality in college football especially when you're dealing with 18 to 22 23 year old kids and young adults young men that you can come into a game prepared mentally emotionally prepared even prepared for certain things that the other team is going to do and you still just don't play well and you get beat you know no no that's impossible what are you talking about if you're ready to go you always win and so i think like what we're what we're hoping and maybe what we're betting on is that because a lot of the time what happens because this happens with georgia and alabama too they just got a bunch of nfl guys in their team so it doesn't matter so they, they can sleepwalk through those things. And to a certain extent, that, you know, that same thing has been true for Clemson and Ohio State over the last handful of years, too. And so the thing that we're hoping, that we're betting on, is that this OU team has, has, has stashed enough talent to the point where, hey, even if they are prepared for this game, and they come out and they just don't play well, maybe they can still cruise. That's what we're hoping. Because uh, they're, they're going to play poorly in a game at some point in time this year, even when they are ready to play. There's just no way of getting around that. You just hope that it comes at the right time. Yeah, I, I'm not going to push back on any of that. That's, that's just the way football is. We've all watched enough football to understand how this works. I did ask Brent Venables essentially about this. Uh, you know, this is your first game as a head coach, kind of dealing with this element of, hey, your team just came off a big win. Kansas State just lost a, a game they, I'm sure, didn't expect to lose at home to Tulane. You know, how do you approach the team? How do you approach the guys this week compared to maybe any other week? And... Venables essentially said that they have a routine each week. They believe in it, and that's not going to change. And he said that the Nebraska game to him, with all due respect, and I like that he said that, he said with all due respect, it wasn't any bigger than any, any other game to him. And that's just the way he is. And I love that about Brent Venables because you, know, you all know me, and you know me, Grant. I don't get as worked up with rivalry-type games as a lot of fans do, a lot of people do. Like, for example, I'm you know, constantly on this podcast. Every time OU Texas week comes up, I always go on a rant. I, I'm always so annoyed by the way that game has played out over the last decade or so that Texas has recently beaten Oklahoma, and they're always consistently playing that game close when on the field, talent-wise, Oklahoma should be blowing them out. They, they should be winning those games comfortably. But since it's a rivalry game and there's all this emotion and blah, 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 then it's close and they might lose. I, I, I hate that crap. I hate it. Like, you're better, 
prepare better, go beat them down. Bob Stoops did it a good amount of times back in the day when Oklahoma was way better than Texas. It can be done. And so Lee, I'm not saying that's going to happen with Brent Venables. With all due respect, and with all due respect, I don't know if you're right about this one. I don't, I don't know if you're right about this one. And also, well, right is maybe not the right word. I just think when, when Brent Venables is saying that, that he didn't think Nebraska was any bigger than any of that, and they have this... They, that is classic coach speak, and he's lying. That's not true. Nebraska was obviously a bigger game than UTEP and Kent State. It's coach speak. And, like, that's fine. I, I, this, this is a good mindset to have. What he's talking about right now is what, in a perfect world, it should be and not what reality is. Reality is the Nebraska game was a much bigger game than UTEP and Kent State. I'm sure his players were much more locked in, much more focused, much more excited for that game. That's not to say that they weren't excited for those other two games or that Brent Venables wasn't excited or didn't take seriously UTEP and Kent State. But to come up here and say that that Nebraska wasn't a bigger game than those two, that's just a bald-faced lie. That's not true. I disagree. Um, and I disagree. so, I, you know, I, and maybe like what I would say with you is that it's just, I maybe what you're saying right now is you're saying what you wish to be true and not necessarily the truth. Which is the truth is the Nebraska is, is, a, is just a much bigger game than those two. And no matter how much you try to focus in and change that, and I understand that between those, you know, between those lines and, in, and you know, in those walls with all those guys, you have to have that mindset a lot of the time if you want to be consistent. But that still doesn't, that still doesn't change the facts on the ground. I, I disagree. I disagree with you. I, I don't disagree that the players and, and you know, maybe some of the coaching staff you know, thought it was a bigger game or felt differently because it was Nebraska. But as far as Brent Venables goes, I believe him. And you know why? I think there's evidence to back that, that he's telling the truth. Uh, it's what he was talking about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, last week when he was, uh, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but he was going through all of the times Oklahoma played against Nebraska during his first stint. Exactly. That is evidence game. that it was a bigger game. He wouldn't get well, choked no, like, up talking about UTEP and Kent State. Well, no, but... What do you say to the fact that in 2000, when they got that win, that huge win in 2000, he was so focused already on the next game that he didn't even celebrate the Nebraska game because it was on to the next one. The next game was more important. He was afraid they were going to lose because it's on because it's the next game is the most important game. I buy it when he says that. I do. Doesn't mean that the players do. Yeah, but, but I think also when he says it. I buy it. But here in the you know here and now. In 2022, when he's sitting here talking about that in the context of playing Nebraska this week, he's getting choked up about it, thinking about it, which is evidence oh, yeah. that, he, he, that, that that's, a bit, that, that's something that means a lot to him. And also just the way that Oklahoma played and the way they presented themselves in that game, what they showed. They showed a bunch of stuff on offense that they didn't even, didn't even begin to even think about showing against UTEP and Kent State. How is that not telling everyone who is watching that this game is more important? Well, maybe it's more know. important this is, not because it's it was semantics. Nebraska. It's silly. This is semantics. I, this is... Well, well, Brent Venables would tell us all the time how excited he is to watch the tape and scheme up, and, and, and he loves going against really good players, really good teams. Maybe it's not Nebraska. Maybe it's just, you know, Nebraska always seemed to have good teams, you know? It's just he, he enjoyed going up against the competition. I'm going to keep fighting you on this. No, I just like it's... Cause, I, think, I think his mindset is valuable and is the mindset that is probably <laughs> correct, that you need to get to. But I, I, I just, yeah, I... I find the whole, you know, I, I've, you know, every game is just as important. That's, that's coach speak, and it's just kind of annoying to me is all. 
Well, I know it's a cliche. I know it's coach speak, like you said, but when because everybody knows OU in Texas is bigger than all the other ones. Fact. It just is. I'm saying, you know, if you ask Brent Venables about his history playing against UTEP, nobody asked that. But maybe he would have choked up too. You know, maybe he would have choked up thinking about all the UTEP games. I don't know. I don't. Do you know? At the end of the day, another cliche alert. The only thing that matters is that this is all semantics and does not matter whatsoever. Here's something I was thinking about yesterday going to Brent Venables' press conference. And as you know, we're not going to be able to answer this question maybe maybe all season long or we're going to need to see some more games of evidence to back this up. But, uh, you know, how frustrating has it been on this podcast ever since we've had it? You know, the entirety of Lincoln Riley's tenure. Uh, you know, there, some, sometimes it was kind of easy to kind of, you know, predict and figure out what was going to happen when OU played. But many other times, you know, I'd pick OU to cover a big number and they wouldn't and it'd be close. And it was like, I just don't know what I'm going to get from this team with Brent Venables after what happened against Nebraska, where uh, Nebraska is a bad football team, but this Oklahoma team showed up on the road and laid the wood and played really well on, on all facets in, in all facets. I'm curious to see if, based on the preparation and Brent Venables and, and how you know, this team's focus-wise so far, it's only been three games, but it's been a somewhat consistent team that we've seen. Will it be a bit easier to predict what kind of OU team we see week to week compared to what we saw for five years under Lincoln Riley? I, I'm just, there's no way to know that until we see some more evidence, some more data points. But, man, that sure would be awesome if, if we start, you know, see, if, if we see a more consistent team in all, in all facets, you know, we're, we're going into November or something like that. And we're like, man, you know what's cool about this Oklahoma team? That for the most part, we know what we're going to get every single week. And it's really good football. You couldn't say that about Oklahoma, uh, you know, with the exception of maybe 2017 offensively, 2018. I mean, the offense you could always expect. But overall, eh, it was kind of a coin toss. I think that's because I think there's a pretty obvious explanation for that, and it's because they weren't playing very good defense. If there's anything yeah. that, you know, True. that that is consistent in football and, and wins the most in football, I know it's a cliche. It doesn't matter. It's, it's defense. The re- that uneasy feeling that you had every single week was because we had no idea when the defense was going to give up 600 yards and 8 yards of play. Because <laughs> you, you knew it was coming eventually. You just didn't know when it was going to happen. <laughs> no, that's true. Very well, uh, very well put, and I'm happy you pointed that out. Before we get to the OUK State discussion, I guess big news this week, even though we all kind of knew this was already a thing with Bedlam football being over with, I guess... It's a f- official now. Uh, Brett McMurphy putting out a story with a couple of quotes from Chad Weiberg, the OSU AD, and also Joe Castiglione. And as far as I remember, I think it might be the first time you know we've we've actually gotten both ADs kind of on the record, essentially saying, you know, at least for the time being, you know, this isn't happening. And I, you know, and the the, the big story about this though is Mike Gundy coming out Tuesday evening. And going on a, a pretty good rant. Uh, he's always interesting to listen to. You know, it was a big part of my newscast at News 9 at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. The, the whole show was basically Mike Gundy and his thoughts. And I, I think Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State has a decent point. But I think there's a, a part of this story that's really kind of unanswered right now. And that is, in the story by Brett McMurphy, OSU AD Chad Weiberg is quoted as, as I'm going to paraphrase, basically saying, listen, our schedule is full right now. Like the current setup 
makes it pretty much impossible for us to schedule Bedlam. And moving forward, our non-conference schedule is basically full. So unless something changes, then you know, we're not going to be able to schedule Oklahoma. And then Joe, uh, Joe Siglione later in the story was quoted as saying, well, Oklahoma State's shown no interest in trying to schedule Bedlam and football. So we've decided to move on with filling our non-conference schedule in the future. That's the money quote to me because I'd sure like to hear Chad Weiberg respond to that quote or Mike Gundy respond to that quote because what that comes off as is Oklahoma, if Joe Casiglione's telling the truth, it comes off to me as looking at the schedule down the line, non-conference, whenever there's openings, whether that, I, I'm pretty sure the FBSschedules.com, whatever that website is, it looks like in 2031, Grant, both OU and OSU don't have any non-conference games scheduled yet. So if that's true, 2031, maybe Oklahoma was like, hey, look, let's 2031, let's do it. Like if that's the case and Oklahoma State's still saying no, then I'd like to hear why. And I think that's something that no one's talking about. That's what stood out to me in that story by Brett McMurphy uh, is that if, if Joe Castiglione, what he said is true, uh, it kind of is on Oklahoma State because if Oklahoma wants to play, Oklahoma State should be kind of like, yeah, sure, whatever, we'll do it non-conference. Like, it's okay that Oklahoma State is mad about Oklahoma leaving. I mean, Oklahoma leaving the conference definitely ends Bedlam because it's a conference game. And it's not up to Oklahoma State to totally change around their future non-conference schedule just to to get Bedlam on the books. That's not an Oklahoma State. But if there are openings at some point, what's wrong with both schools working to get the game scheduled? Lee, I, I, you know, this is this one's tough for me because, and I've said on this podcast, you know, I I lament Bedlam ending. I, you know, I, I don't like the fact that they're not going to play this game, you know, anymore after they've played it, you know, however, you know, however many hundreds of years in a row. I like that. I like keeping, you know, I like keeping tradition going and stuff like that. But also at the same time, I I don't have a massive emotional draw to this rivalry. Um, I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast last week. I have much more of an emotional draw to OU Nebraska. Um, if there was one game that I had to pick, you know, to, to play on an annual basis, it would be that one. Um, but also, I, I don't live in the state of Oklahoma right now. And I, I, I think that's obviously going to have more resonance to the people who are there on the ground. And I like that you that you boil it down to this question of, hey, this is the this is the one piece of information we don't have right now, because I think that's valuable, Lee, because what that actually does is show that this really is just about hurt feelings right now. And I don't say that to be dismissive. I don't say that to, to say, ha ha, your feelings are hurt. I don't mean that at all. It's just that this is, you know, this is a longstanding thing. And of course, that feelings are going to are going to be hurt, you know, regarding it. I just, you know, me personally, I don't happen to be in that equation at all. So it's hard for me to have some sort of, you know, you know, pound my fist on the table take about this when I, you know, I don't think it's a good thing that the game is ending, but also the game is ending. And I totally buy that Oklahoma State is not super interested in, in keeping it going. One, because there's probably some sour grapes there, and that's okay. I think that's totally natural. There's, especially after OU did a lot of this, you know, without telling Oklahoma State and they thought they had a partner in Oklahoma, I can see why there would be some hurt feelings there. That's fine. I think those wounds will heal eventually. But also at the same time, there's got to be a little side of, of, of Oklahoma State, their athletic department, their administration thinking, uh, it's actually maybe good for us that we don't have to play these guys for a little bit. Maybe let's see how we can, let's see how we, how we survive, how we live in this landscape without Oklahoma. Because the real, like, the reality of the situation is 
in a vast majority of years, Lee, that's a loss for them on the schedule. That's not going to be there anymore. And over the last, yeah. over the last, since Mike Gundy has gotten to Oklahoma State, they have been the second best program in the Big Twelve behind Oklahoma. They are they are positioned right now to be the top dog in the new Big Twelve. And that's going to be a lot harder, especially on a national level, having national success. If you're playing, you know, fully loaded SEC Oklahoma on a, on a yearly basis as well, that's not going to go very well for them in all likelihood. So, I, you know, this is one of those things where it's just like, I, I think this can be mutually beneficial for, for, both, for both programs if you maybe just take a decade off and see what happens. Because I think everyone here, you know, at OU thinks that OU is going to be really successful in the SEC is going to achieve heights that maybe we haven't seen before. And I think if people on the Oklahoma State side look at things kind of in a half-glass-full type of way, they can maybe see some sort of reality here where they can grow and they can be their own thing, you know, independent of what Oklahoma does. And maybe that's good for them moving forward too. And maybe in 10 years, maybe by 2031, 2032 or whatever, maybe we can get the thing going back together when both programs are in a better position. How's that for a middle no, ground think, there? No, I, I, I think you're spot on with all of that. I, I think you're, I mean, the way Oklahoma State, from their perspective, I, I think you nailed it. I, if I'm Oklahoma State, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I, I mean, that's a, essentially an auto loss every year. That's not on your schedule anymore. O, Oklahoma was the team that left to prevent it from being a conference game. Not your problem. You didn't do anything about that. But also, at the same time, it's not on you to cancel future non-conference games to ensure that bedlam happens. That's, you have a contract problem. You can't, so I think it's a, it's a great spot for Oklahoma State, and, and I, I'm with you. I, but at the same time, though, what makes me kind of annoyed with it is Mike Gundy coming out on a Tuesday night and acting like, listen, it's Oklahoma's fault. They left for the SEC. They chased the money. That's fine. That's why bedlam's not not happening it's not not our problem we have nothing to do with this end of story case closed when my, my thought is well i go back to what i said a little bit ago yes you are correct it's not up to you to maneuver your not your non-conference future schedule for bedlam oklahoma did leave oklahoma is a team that made sure that this was not going to be a conference game which is guaranteed every single year moving forward but at the same time though don't act like uh you're totally not at fault if Oklahoma has reached out to you and said, hey, listen, we, we want to play the game down the line. Hey, it, you have an opening in 2030, 2031? We do. Like, sound good? And if they're saying no, okay, like, just own it. But the way Oklahoma State's trying to put it off as is like, listen, it's all Oklahoma. Like, sorry, that's it. There's nothing we can do. End of story. Case closed, which is, that's kind of half true. And you can't have it both ways. Like, if, if Oklahoma truly does want to play it, sure, you, like you said, Grant, sour grapes, totally totally uh, reasonable. Uh, but at the same time, though, don't act like uh, you really want to play the game or something like that whenever, if there's evidence that you don't, that, that, that kind of makes you look bad. And that's kind of where yep, I'm That's annoyed, the other side of the if, coin if, here. If true. Absolutely the other side of the coin because you got Oklahoma State who is acting as in they've done nothing wrong here and they haven't done anything quote-unquote wrong no, they except they, they leaked a story to Brett McMurphy to make Oklahoma look bad. You think they leaked that they story? I mean, That's exactly what happened. Castigli well, Castiglione was on the record too, though. I mean, well, they, they, say, they, uh, So Brett McMurphy Lee is an OSU alum. 
which means he absolutely is is in with the OSU athletic department. This is something that I've thought of for a long time, whereas if any sort of story comes out like that, always think of who benefits from this story. It's Oklahoma State who benefited from that story because all of the aggression, all of all of everything was put on OU. And of course, it was Brett McMurphy, Oklahoma State alum, who put out the story. It was leaked See, to I him don't... specifically to make Oklahoma look bad, to put all of the pressure on them for the rivalry ending because Oklahoma State probably is saying, no, we're not interested, even though Oklahoma is saying, we'll still play this game. That's what happened. Well, if that's the case, that's really bad PR because I don't think that story comes off making Oklahoma State look good. I, well, I most, people gonna, look well most people aren't going to look into it like that, Lee. They're going to they're, they're gonna see Oklahoma left the, for, for the SEC, and that's the end of the story. That's it. I mean, yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. I mean, I think the Joe Castiglione quote is the money quote of the entire story. That's what makes Oklahoma State not look great. Exactly. That's, that's what... Exactly. And so OSU AD leaks the story to Brett McMurphy or says, hey, I want you to put out this story. McMurphy goes to Castiglione, asks for comment. Castiglione says, what are you talking about? We've been trying to schedule the game, and they're saying no. There you go. That's what happened. And then you have Mike Gundy come out and not really acknowledge the fact that Castiglione said that, although Gundy did say at the end of his, of his uh, I don't want to call it a rant, because, I mean, I, I mean, he wrote out some stuff, but at the end of it, he said, hey, I, I like Joe C., but, I mean, let's come on, let's, let's call it like it is. And my thing is, well, okay, Coach Gundy, let us, let's call it like it is. If, is, you know, is, is Joe Castiglione not telling the truth? I, is, is he not telling the truth that you all are not showing any interest? If so, explain. If and so, if, if then, it's a, then, then this lying. is about one of two things. You're either just pissed about them going to the SEC and you want to take your ball and go home, or <laughs> you have done the calculus in your head and you've realized that maybe playing OU going forward does not benefit Oklahoma State and you want to leak this story to Brett McMurphy so that you look the best in the best light possible, which is what happened This is because this is how life works. This is what happens. See, and, and I think that's probably pretty close to what it is because I, I do think this does benefit Oklahoma State this this for the for all intents and purposes takes away a yearly loss statistically for them the thing is what I would have done to be more precise is again Oklahoma State's booked through like 2030 I believe I mean that's a long time why not just say hey you know like once we have an opening we're open to it sure because at, at that point you are you are scot-free. You, you look great in this situation. Oklahoma looks, quote-unquote, bad for being the one that ended Bedlam because they left. And you're not sitting there basically looking kind of like you're trying to avoid the game down the line. I mean, eight years from now is a long time, to your point. A lot of things could happen. So, so like, why not just say that? But the way they come off, it comes off as, like, yeah, hey, like, it's all Oklahoma's fault. Oklahoma's like, hey, uh, we're trying to play it. Yeah, I, I get it that we're leaving, but, hey, what's – Come to, come to the table here. Let's play the game. We want to play the game. And Oklahoma State's coming off as, uh, actually, we don't really want to play the game, even though we're acting like we do want to play the game. But Oklahoma left. That's, come on, man. Like, this, is, this should not be that difficult PR-wise for Oklahoma State, yet I feel like they made a bad decision uh, with the way they handled this. And I'm, I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure Oklahoma State has other considerations, and including their fan base, their alumni base as well. And, and the message they want to get out there as well. So I that's that that's if, if there's anything that gets me hot, it's just the it's it's just the cynical nature of the of the leaking of the stories, which is clearly what happened in this situation. And that's just kind of it. My it, it's more annoyance on my end, kind of you know similar to what you're saying right there, where it's just stupid. Just own it. 
Just say, instead of, just say nothing and say, hey, we're going to take 10 years off and we'll revisit it. Another thing, the last part about this that, that kind of annoys me as well, and maybe the calculus Oklahoma State has taken from a PR perspective that, you know, in the long run might be the better move is that if you look on Facebook and Twitter and you know, people talking about this, I work at News 9, people will comment on these stories. A lot of the comments are simply boiled down to whose fault was it that Bedlam's ending? And Oklahoma fans say it's Oklahoma State's fault, and Oklahoma State fans say it's Oklahoma's fault, case closed, like there's no nuance at all. And the cynical part of my brain thinks, well, Oklahoma State PR is thinking like, well, fans are dumb in the most part, and they're just going to they're going to look at things through that lens. And our fans are obviously going to want to make, you know, they want to hear that it's Oklahoma's fault. And so we're just going to go ahead and be kind of low-com denom with the way we're doing this, leaving out the part that uh, makes it kind of seem like maybe we're not trying to play this game down the line because our fans aren't going to notice that part or care about that part. And that's all that matters is that our fan base will be happy about this. Whereas, uh, you know, on the other side, who cares about Oklahoma fans? We're not really trying to make them mad or happy. And so that's kind of like the cynical part of me is like, did they, did they just assume that ah, we, don't, we don't need to be precise about this and say, hey, we're open to playing the game whenever we have openings on the non-conference schedule in the future because they're like, yeah, we don't even need to say that because our fans don't need to hear that because, I don't know, they're, they're not going to even read into it as much because these are just football fans and yeah, yeah, go team. Uh, so yeah, that's, I'm more, does that I'm, make sense? I'm more interested in about what's the real reason why Oklahoma state wouldn't want to play OU. Is it because of sour grapes or is it because they would prefer not to have an automatic loss every year? I want to know the real answer to that. That's a good question. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's like, I can see if, if it's the, if it's the latter, if it is, if it is because they kind of want to make their schedule a little easier, that's a pretty tough needle to thread. It really is. Cause you come off looking weak if that's the reasoning why. And so, even even if it's smart, but also I, yeah, I can see why you would be hesitant to just go Leroy Jenkins yourself into that. See, and again, just to, to, to wrap it up, I mean, I think you can totally, you know, behind the scenes, privately, if you're Mike Gundy, you're Chad Weiberg, you're, you're Casey Shrum, it's totally rational to be like, listen, not having Bedlam is great for us because that's been a loss a lot of the time. So, if we don't have to play this game, great, but publicly you got to throw out there like, hey, we're open to playing the game 10 years from now or whatever, whenever we have openings, like we'll discuss because that gives you at least like an eight to 10 year like uh, buffer where you're not going to play them to see how things go. <laughs> you know, uh, it just and things change anyways. I mean, who knows what the landscape will look like 10 years from now? Maybe we're going to be at a 2014 playoff and losing a couple of games isn't going to be that big of a deal. It's not going to ruin your season. Uh Okay, let's talk OUK State. And at the time of this recording, somewhat late Wednesday evening, Oklahoma is a 12.5 point favorite over Kansas State, 7 o'clock tip, uh, tip off, kickoff. And that number's gone down a bit. Uh, I saw it at 13 earlier today. So a little bit of money must be coming in on Kansas State. And I want to start with the Oklahoma defense against the Kansas State offense. And we got to start with Adrian Martinez because. For the second week in a row, Oklahoma is facing a quarterback they faced a season ago, but for a different team. That's just It's so interesting and unique. Uh, things went a lot better against Casey Thompson this time around than it did last year. And we'll see if things go better against Adrian Martinez and you know, playing for Kansas State. And I'll start it off with this, Grant. You know, Brent Venables is asked about you know, how they're preparing for Adrian Martinez. Like, what do you do? Do you watch stuff from uh, you know nebraska i mean like do you watch more of that i mean obviously they see stuff from early on in k-state you know how do you scout them 
And first off, Venable said, and I like this, and this made me feel pretty confident about the way the defense is going to play. Venable said, yeah, you know, we, uh, we, we cut up some highlights and we showed the guys, Adrian Martinez, against the guys last season in Norman. And, you know, it, it wasn't to you know, embarrass anybody, just to kind of remind them how we played against you guys, how we looked against you a season ago. And I uh, thought that, okay, like he, just, he, he wanted the guys to remember what it was like a season ago, a, a good picture of what he looked like. And uh, I just, I kind of like that. And maybe they do that all the time in these situations, but for whatever reason, that stood out to me. And especially because obviously this is a new defense. And so the confidence level of these guys on defense are going to be through the freaking roof right now compared to what it would be if Alex Grinch was still around calling the defense. So your reaction to the idea that, you know, one of the first things they did this week was show the defensive players some cut-ups of Adrian Martinez playing well against them last year. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, yeah, I, I guess I don't really have many thoughts on that. I, I guess my, like, my thought process is, of course, of course they did. Why wouldn't you watch film of the guy that you played last year before you go up against him this year? Well, it's a different system. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I know it's a new system, but, but still, I mean, you, you still want to study him, see what what sort of tendencies he has, whatever. I tell you one thing, he looked way better at Nebraska than he does at Kansas State. Or at least last season he did. Um, we were talking about this right before we started recording. And hey, I've, I've only watched their game against Tulane, really, and, and maybe you know some highlights against, against Missouri, at whatever. Adrian Martinez looked downright pitiful against Tulane. He looked awful. Like, as in, he looked like he's never played college football before. So I have no idea what the heck's going on there. Well, this is good because I watched almost the entire Missouri game, and I didn't see much of the Tulane game. So you've got the Tulane game covered. I got the Missouri game covered, and he wasn't all that impressive against Missouri either. Uh, he, he had a couple of nice you know, design quarterback runs, had a nice touchdown run on his, a design quarterback keeper, but as far as throwing the football, uh, not great. His numbers were awful. Uh, he was 9 of 20 against Missouri for 101 yards. That's it. He's averaging... You know, no touchdowns, no picks. For the season in three games, he's averaging 4.6 yards an attempt. Not even, a, like, an attempt. Ugh. I mean, and that's like... For you see that. For an OU running back averaging 4.6 yards a carry, and we're thinking, oh, he's not having a very good season. This is a quarterback for throwing the ball. I mean, this is by far, not surprisingly, a career low. I mean, a season ago at Nebraska, he, he averaged 9.4 yards per attempt. He had a career season last year for Nebraska. And, uh, I mean, he was okay. Like, his numbers weren't that great, but it was definitely the best season of his career. And uh, Nebraska was 3-9. and nine. So, yeah, so it totally I, I didn't comes see down a whole to... lot from, from that Missouri game. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the question of this game totally comes down to is the Adrian Martinez that has showed up in the first three games for Kansas State, is that the Adrian Martinez that we're going to see on Saturday against OU? Or is it more so like the Adrian Martinez that we saw last year for Nebraska? Because if it's the formerly, I don't think Kansas State can win this game. It's that bad. <laughs> that's making it, uh, that's being very charitable. I'm with you. Uh, he, he doesn't look, and you made this point, uh, at least I'm, going to be commenting on the Missouri game there were some times where he looked like he was uh, maneuvering the pocket pretty well some decent pocket presence he's um, he stepped up in the pocket and threw a, you know, a nice ball over the middle to Malik Knowles in the game that was his best throw of the game for a first down like 20 yards but you know athletically he just 
I, I feel really dumb. Uh, I'll, I'll just admit it. You know, last year before the Nebraska game, I was really talking him up. And I thought, you know, we, you know he played pretty well in that game and he had a good season. But I, I thought he looked a lot better and, and he's not. Uh, he, he just isn't anywhere near as good as I thought he was. And it's so far in a, in a system that Brent Venable said on Tuesday that he thinks this system fits fits him better than the Nebraska system. Well, statistically, that's what I thought that's too. Not, that's, that's why I was so case. bullish this year on K State. But I mean, so far statistically, that's not the case. And I mean, I, I don't know if Missouri's defense is supposed to be all that great. I'm not so sure about Tulane's defense where it's supposed to be. And they, I think they played South Dakota as well. It's I, I I doubt they're playing some elite style defenses. But even if they are, I mean. Oklahoma's defense is probably right up there, Grant, with Missouri or Tulane. Probably even better, I would hope. <laughs> going, going through uh, going three out games on a so limb far there. this year. Yeah. So I mean, really, what what it comes down to is, yes, you're right. What kind of Adrian Martinez play are we going to see? And oh boy, oh boy, what kind of Deuce Vaughn are we going to get? Because he's by far their best player, the most electric player. And against Missouri, kind of bottled up in the game I watched. He. I mean, he has his typical Deuce Vaughn where he kind of slides underneath people, looks pretty good. I mean, he had a couple of touchdowns, but, uh, you know, 24 carries, just 145 yards. I'm not really sure what that is, yards per carry. I got to do the math here quick, but it's not not like overwhelming. Uh, they weren't really It's over seven yards plays. a carry. That's pretty good. It's six yards per carry. You say That's 20 carries good. for 145? That's over seven yards a carry. 24. 24 carries for 145. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but he, you know, he, I think he must have gotten, I can look at the box score. I didn't really watch the fourth quarter. It makes me wonder if he had like a longer run in the fourth quarter to make his stats better. Cause, uh, but anyways, I mean, Deuce Vaughn's Deuce Vaughn. Uh, he's, he's dangerous. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. This uh, what game, did you see from him in the, like, uh, how do you look against Tulane? Didn't make a huge impact on the game. Um, struggled to kind of get going, uh, to, to, to Tulane's credit. They made a lot of nice open field tackles on him. They, they made some nice one-on-one -on -one tackles on him. But, man, K-State's -State's offensively just overall is kind of in a bad way right now. I, you know, they didn't really get much for him going in, you know, up the middle of the defense. They tried to go out wide with him, too. That's where Tulane was, was doing a really good job of kind of stopping him in the open field. But, I mean, really, that K-State offensive line also just not really getting much of a push. And so it makes you, and like this, this is a team that, that returned quite a bit of guys on their offensive line from last year too. And so I, you know, it makes you wonder, is it just, is, is it a combo of, is it, is it Colin Klein, their new offensive coordinator? Is he struggling as a first year OC? Is it Adrian Martinez struggling, picking up what, what Colin Klein is doing? And is, is that filtering down to the offensive line and filtering to the effectiveness of Deuce Vaughn as well? Or is it a combination of them both where they're just both not working out? I mean, it's a I, I, I watch them against Tulane and and Lee. The game is almost like you go and watch this the game on ESPN Plus. Like it is, it's like you're watching Illinois versus a MAC team. I mean, it is it's it's a hard game to watch. Nobody is moving the ball particularly well when they when it is moved well. It's Tulane. It's not Kansas State. And you, you have Kansas State just looking like everything is just really difficult. And I you know. I don't know if it's just the first three games and they had a higher, they kind of had a higher opinion of themselves and what it actually turned out to be and they were trying to save stuff for OU and we're about to get just a totally different K-State. But man, I, I just that offense, they, they don't do anything well. Well, you'd think that 
at some point in the game against Tulane, if you're struggling to move it, maybe you do try to bust out some plays that you were holding back. But then again, maybe they hadn't even tried him yet. Maybe they were saving some stuff to bring out and teach the guys during OU week. Certainly, they're going to have some stuff. Uh, and by the way, in my defense of Deuce Vaughn, you know, t- saying that I didn't see much from him, him against Missouri, but then you look at his numbers, and his numbers are pretty good. Uh, early in the fourth quarter, I stopped watching after the third quarter. He had his two longest runs of the game. He had a 29-yard run and a 24-yard run in, in the span of three plays. You know, take those two runs out, and he only averaged about four yards per carry. So it makes me feel better. He just he busted off two big runs there late in the game. But, uh, yeah, I, it, it does make you wonder because this offense coming in, like what we've seen, you against Tulane, me against Missouri, it certainly isn't anything like what you know, we've seen from Nebraska going in. And at times, I, Nebraska's, I Nebraska's mean, from, offense from, is significantly better than what I've seen from Kansas yeah. State so far. And then you add that extra bit of confidence going in. It's, you know, this isn't uh, Alex Grinch's speed D who's had tons of issues slowing down Chris Kleiman and, and that K-State team. This is Brent Venables. And you'd, you'd like to think it'll be better, although I will put this stat out there. So I looked this up earlier this week, and I'm not sure how much this has anything to do with the game coming up on Saturday. Probably very little, but it's just it's interesting nonetheless. So Britt Venables' previous stint with Oklahoma from 99 to 2011. During that span, OU played against Kansas State nine times, and OU went 8-1, and one, the one loss you all know. You can guess. Big 12 title game. In that span, though, defensively, OU's defense gave up a lot of points in those nine games to Kansas State. Those offenses were different. In a lot of ways, right? I mean, they had some pretty good offenses back in the day, if I remember right. Some some talented players, but you know, in the the whatever ninety nine to twenty eleven was at twelve years, twelve thirteen years, something like that. Kansas State averaged against Britt Venables and, and I guess Mike Stoops' defense for part of that time, nearly twenty eight points a game. Grant, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I figured it'd be lower. I'm sitting here trying to trying to think of. Well, in that in that time span, you got some of the best. K-State teams of all time. Their 2000 team, probably their second best team of all time. Maybe their 2003 team is their second best team of all time. They had, a, they had an offense that had Josh Freeman and Jordy Nelson on it. Yeah. So, and they also didn't play every year either. So you're not talking about like 12 matchups here. You're probably talking about five or six games. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, it was, they played nine times. Like you said, uh, the last time Venables faced Kansas State at OU, 2011, and that was Colin Klein. Wipeout. Colin Klein Total wipeout. One of the most, I mean, they, they absolutely rolled. That was in Manhattan. They killed him. Yeah, and that was, the, that was, I think, the fewest points that OU allowed when Venables was there against Kansas State in all those nine games. Yeah, that and was coming off is of that, their, Is that a sign? Is that a sign of things to come with I Colin so. Klein being the play caller? I mean, that was coming off of uh, their, them losing as, you know, not the number one team in the country anymore. I think they were the number three team to Texas Tech. And then they, they were on the road the next week in, in Manhattan. I'm pretty sure Kansas State was undefeated. And OU went in and beat them by like 40. And it, it, just, it wasn't competitive. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. It was, uh, let's see. If I get this right, it looks like it was 58 to 17. It was awesome. Jazz Reynolds had a one-handed TD catch. It was cool. Look it up. <laughs> What about the rest of the skill players that K-State has? There's a couple guys that stand out, a couple receivers, Malik Knowles 
and Philip Brooks are still there. I feel like they've been there for a long time. Especially Knowles. I feel like, yeah, I feel like Knowles has been there since like 2018. Hmm. And I guess Kurt Warner's kid's on the team. I think he's a receiver. They're really? showing him in the stands. They're showing Kurt Warner in the stands of the Missouri game. Let me just double check this. Oh, Cade Warner. Cade. I believe. Okay, yeah. He's got eight catches for 60 yards, and he's the third leading receiver on the team. He's the Man, only Phillip receiver Brooks to only catch has... a touchdown pass. Jeez. Yeah, Malik Knowles doesn't even have a touchdown. He only has 10 catches. They only have a receiver over 100 yards. They Yikes. do not. It's like they're, I mean, their oh. offense has been really bad. I mean, they, they've really struggled to move the ball. Um, and that, like, that makes me, I, I don't know what to do with that. I, like, I don't because, like, I, what I saw against Tulane compared to what I've seen from OU's defense the last three weeks, I'm thinking to myself, man, they could shut these guys out. But I know it's not that easy. I, I'm not, I'm not allowing so myself P- to get to that right. point. Yeah, the PTSD of the past. Sure. Uh, let's flip the script. The Kansas State defense is good. It, I mean, it's by far, by far the best defense that Oklahoma will have seen through the first four games. And I was thinking about this, Grant. So, I mean, you would probably have a better handle on this than me. Is this, I mean, could this be the best defense OU sees in the regular season? I mean, Baylor will be up there. Uh, but other than baby Baylor, like, I don't know, like, is Iowa State supposed to be good this year on defense? I, I guess mean, maybe like, those three teams. Be. It could be. I think it's I think it's probably more likely that you can probably toss three or four defenses into a blender and they're all pr- pretty similar. None of them elite defenses, but pretty good defenses. I think Kansas State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State are probably those three teams. Um, That's the thing is whenever whenever OU sees Oklahoma State, how much more improved will that defense be? Uh, you know, under Derek Mason, because I, I still believe I know you and I are kind of on a crossfire with that. I. I think the Oklahoma State defense is going to not be all that great, and it hasn't uh, been. They, they haven't been particularly well, good this year, and so I, I just I'm a little more, bit. I'm more talking but, about just history yeah. there. Okay, yeah, but I mean it's it's a defense that's forced seven interceptions already through three games. Granted, I will say they had four against Missouri, and I don't know. I mean, you got to give them credit for it. they're they're forcing turnovers and stuff, but they kind of came off the picks were really bad decisions by the quarterbacks and Dylan Gabriel's done a really good job of keeping the ball clean. I mean, we're talking throws in the double coverage, uh, you know, throws where you don't see a, an underneath player. And you're like, okay, you should probably see that guy. Not saying that Dylan Gabriel can't make those mistakes. This, this is a good defense, but I think that seven interception number might be a little bit inflated based on kind of the interceptions they've gotten, but still you gotta give them credit for it. They forced the turnovers and you know, that, that's something that's, that's kind of one of those battles, right? Is, you know, Gabriel's been so good at keeping the ball clean, keeping it in Oklahoma's hands. Now you're going against a team that showed the propensity to take the ball away. And that secondary grant for, uh, for Kansas State against Missouri looks kind of nasty. Like, they fly around a bit. Pretty good at coverage. They can come up, get tackles for loss. I'm not sure how they looked against Tulane. Maybe you can shed some light on that. They looked good. Kansas, they looked good. Kansas State's secondary looks good. I think Kansas State's defense just looks good in general. And uh, this was a defense that after OU left Manhattan last year was, I think in the second half of the year, was the number one defense in the Big 12 per, per numbers and stuff like that, and total defense and all of that. And that was after they fully shifted to kind of the 3-3-5 the, the Iowa State umbrella look as well. And they are employing that right now into this season. And so that gives me a little bit of pause. Um, that's kind of the defense that gives sort of kind of the Art Bryles-Baylor look some trouble. And... Uh, 
That's what Kent State rolled out there against OU. That confused them in the first half. And now you got Kansas State doing it with better players. And so a lot of the time, especially when Lincoln Riley was the head coach here, when I was talking about Kansas State's defense, I'll be straight up honest with you. I didn't have any respect for it at all. I didn't think they had the players to, to, to keep up with OU. Um, and I thought that was largely the case. That was definitely the case last year, too. They rolled into Manhattan, and they had a really high success rate. K-State just couldn't get them off the field, even if they weren't super, you know, super explosive. This time around, you know, I mean, I, I can see, I can see you know, the, the talent on their defense for sure. I don't think they're killers. I, I think OU has, has better players, and man-on-man should be able to still get the best of them. But there's obviously some guys that, that stand out. And yeah, Lee, their, their defense looks pretty good to me, especially, especially Brent's, the quarterback. Um, and then Eco uh, 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 Boydo. I, always, I know Boydo. I always forget his first name. Uh, he looked really good as well, and that's not that's not even that's not even mentioning um, you know Anaduke Uzama as well, who is who is their stud, uh, who is the guy. To me, honestly, when I watch them on defense, he's the guy that stands out the most. Like when you're watching, when you're watching him on the defensive line, he caves in the offensive line quite a bit. Um, Tulane was pretty much doubling him the entire game, um, so it's going to be interesting to see how OU handles him. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt this is a good defense. They know what they're doing. They are well coached. They tackle well. Um, I think OU is still going to be able to have some sex uh, or uh, some success there. But also, I mean, Kansas State—they've really kind of lived and died by the turnover this year, and that's that's clearly what they're going to need to win this game too. And the fact that Dylan Gabriel hasn't turned it over yet this year kind of just makes me nervous because the law of averages. Yeah, the you mentioned some guys that stood out to you. The guy that stood out to me the most, and I wasn't watching the, the line that closely, but uh, against Missouri, uh, number one, their safety, Josh Hayes, was flying around. That guy was in the backfield. He had a couple tackles for loss. He should have had an interception in the game. He just kind of dropped, dropped a pick. He's a veteran guy. I was looking at his, his background. Last season, he played at Virginia, barely played. He played in like a, like a couple of games, didn't even get a tackle randomly and then you know this year he's at Kansas State but before he went to Virginia he played four years at NDSU at North Dakota State which is a great program obviously I mean so I'm sure Kleiman knew about him and uh, you know it's just weird to me that he played all those years at NDSU I don't know I guess I don't know why he didn't play really at all at Virginia a year ago but now he's playing at Kansas State this is his sixth year of college and to me he looked like he might be maybe their best secondary player he was at least against Missouri it's one game but number one he was flying around out interesting there, so keep, keep I hear an eye that. on him I hear that FCS player who transferred to Virginia and couldn't get on the field and is now starring for Kansas State you know what I think when I hear that get him on Marvin Mims all day long <laughs> I what I hear that that's I what I want Virginia I hear Virginia can't coach if they couldn't figure out how to get this guy on the field that's that's kind of what I take from that is Bronco Mendenhall still at Virginia? I don't, know. I I don't believe I don't really so. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe so. But yeah, it's 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 a good defense. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on it other than that. I mean, you bringing up Kent State and the way that they played in the first half and Oklahoma struggled. Yeah, it makes you it makes you think that Jeff Levy's going to have to really pay attention to this and figure it out. I mean, it's going to be light boxes, and they really rely on their safeties to come up and make tackles in the hole and be aggressive. And so can you get hat on a hat? If you have light boxes, can you run through it? Can you get blocked? Can you block guys up? Can you, can the running backs like against Nebraska make the first man miss that will probably what it comes down to running game wise. If they can, yeah. Oklahoma should be fine, but 
it's a lot easier said than done, obviously. Yeah, and that's how you you know this that three three five the umbrella look. That's how that's how you beat it just by r- running it down their throat. And I know that's kind of what that's that's what that defense wants you to do. It wants you to run into the into the safeties coming up into the box. But if your offensive line is playing well enough, it doesn't freaking matter. And that's what you saw a lot. That's what you saw, you know, a lot when 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 Kyler was there and when Jalen Hurts was there. They didn't have any trouble moving it on Iowa State because they were just overwhelming them physically up front. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's going to be be the case this time around. But I think that's definitely the interesting narrative going into this game. You got Kansas State essentially with a lot of the same alignment, a lot of the same stuff they want to do as Kent State wanted to do. Man, Kent State bottled OU up for that entire first half when OU just tried to be stubborn and run right into it that's probably not going to work against Kansas State but we saw Oklahoma have a lot more success last week blocking up Nebraska and again you know granted against a really bad defensive front but can they build on on that momentum and 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 can they can they get some chunk plays against Kansas State maybe get them to back off a little bit from the box you know that's going to be a big deal and if you know is OU able to is OU able to find some you know some some areas where they can get chunk yardage through the air as well? Um, I I think that's you know that's the big time battle in this game. I mean this game is going to come down to can OU protect the ball and still get chunk plays against this Kansas State defense because I really do think that it's from what we've seen from Kansas State's offense they're they're going to struggle to get up and down the field you know for the entirety of the game against OU's defense. And what did Jeff Levy say after the Kent State game? He, he told us, hey, listen, I was probably too stubborn in that first half just trying to establish the run. And I took that as we're Oklahoma, they're Kent State. We should be able to run this football even though they're, they're stopping it pretty well or they're kind of trying to stop it. And we talked about it in the podcast. They should have been able to run the ball. You're right. Like, you should be able to outmuscle Kent State. And – Levy said, you know, you know, maybe in hindsight, I should probably try to throw the ball around a little bit more. All right. So now you go against Kansas State. I, you know, it makes you kind of think maybe he won't be as stubborn to try to establish the run against a better defense. And also with the Kent State thing already in the in the back. But also Kansas State's going to probably know that Uh, Chris Kleiman's a great coach. Joe Klanderman's a really good defensive coordinator, clearly. And, you know, these guys are going to do their research. They're going to kind of know. So uh, it's going to be an interesting chess match. Like this is going to be Jeff Levy's biggest test definitely no doubt about it Uh, he you know he passed with flying colors against a bad nebraska defense we'll see and you know the adjustments or whatever that were made at halftime of the kent state game where they were able to score you know whatever three or four touchdowns whatever it was were good they were promising now we're going against a, a defense that's made it really difficult on opposing offenses and and that's that's the game and i, I can't wait yeah you know, i i don't know if they figure that out oklahoma's gonna run away with this one man they will Oh yeah, I mean if yeah if if OU figures out K State's defense and they're moving it up and down the field, I mean you can name your score. I, I that's what we hope. That's what that's what I hope happens. You know my my head tells me that I, maybe OU's offense comes comes back down to earth a little bit this week, um, and they have to kind of grind this one out a little bit more. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. I, I I would love it if they. I mean get the ball to Marvin Mims early and often, please, 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 yeah. please, please. Get to Farouk. Let him touch the ball more. I want to see that more. Heck, Eric Gray, let's see if he has the hot hand again. A lot of options. I just so I, I, I was really encouraged, you know, from from the sixty one yard touchdown run on from Gabriel. I thought the play calling was really good. I, I liked it. They clearly did show a lot more creativity than they had in the first two weeks. They clearly showed that maybe that wasn't all they were gonna do the first two weeks of the season. So I was encouraged by that. 
I'd really like to see that continue this week, especially with getting Gabriel out of the pocket, getting him quick, easy throws to get him in rhythm, to get the guys the ball in space. That's what I want to see. Just I, no, no sitting in the pocket going through your progressions against this defense. I, I really don't think that that's going to work out well for OU if they try. That's what they want you to do. You know, playing that type of coverage. They're going to try to read the guy's eyes and make some plays. That's what they did against Missouri's quarterbacks, and it made it look really easy. I think the, the, the number on this game, OU 12.5, is interesting. I, I think from a gambling standpoint, and maybe just from a – which could transition and, and translate to an actual on-the-field standpoint, I think there's a lot of value in Oklahoma at that number. I was surprised when it opened up less than two touchdowns. I thought it would be a, over two touchdowns, especially after K-State you know, lost and now OU's going home. Just think about it in these terms. The OU-Nebraska game in Lincoln, in, you know, I think it closed at 11. You know, OU on the road as an 11-point favorite, which would have meant that OU at home against Nebraska would have been something like a 14, 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Now OU at home against Kansas State, who's a better team than Nebraska, it's 12 and a half. Okay. Hey, you know what? Now that I'm talk- saying this out loud, maybe that number is about right. <laughs> wow. What was I? I feel like I had a different, a different argument in my brain before I don't, that. Yeah, what I are you I saying? Just talk myself like, out I, I thought you were on your way to making a good point there. Because taking the lines from this week, this week and last week actually don't make sense at all. I thought you were right about that. If you, if, if, if you really thought... But also, I mean, we're early in the season. Like, you can't... I, th- I, think, I think you are right in the sense that there is value on OU right now because the books don't know exactly what OU and Kansas State are. I think the line is this low for the simple explanation of it's still early in the year and the books are going by their models. That's it. Yeah, I just taught myself out of my point. You know, it, the reason why, I think, I think I figured it out. I thought this would open, like I said you know higher than two touchdowns I, I honestly thought it would open around like 16 or 17 so that's probably why in my mind it's it's down at you know at 13 it was bet down under 13 and Nebraska was only a kind of 11 it's, it's kind of close to the Nebraska number and I feel like Kansas State's a much better team than Nebraska so it's almost like the number is pretty similar and the talent level between both teams are, are so you know stark you would think to me it's kind of like well they they handled the uh, they handled Nebraska pretty well, and it's almost the same kind of number against the K State team. Um, but then again, I suppose that yeah, that doesn't really fit my argument. But but I think it, it should be bigger though. I guess I guess what I'm saying is that I I guess I don't respect K State as much because I I think it should be more like a fourteen and a half or sixteen. Uh, but I could be totally wrong if if they if, if they don't play well. But it, it comes down to it, it really does come down to the offense like we just talked about. If that is figured out, Oklahoma should roll in this game because let's think about this logically on the other side of the ball. We talked about K-State's offense and Oklahoma's defense. Let's Again, just logically. Like Kansas State's offense so far, we talked about it, you talked about it, it's been below average against defenses, probably you know, not as good as Oklahoma's defense. And You're Oklahoma's being charitable. Defense had, You're being charitable there. Yeah. I mean, and, and on the flip side, OU's defense – has shown the ability through three games to be competent, especially against a team like Nebraska last week who has a really good offense and against a Kent State offense, that's pretty good too. Uh, and so this is not going to be the best offense that Oklahoma has seen. So logically, Oklahoma's defense should have a pretty good day on Saturday just based off of 
the evidence we've seen on the field so far through three games. So then, therefore, the question is, how will the offense fare against a very good Kansas State defense? And that's what we don't know. So maybe take the under. I don't know. I don't know. If I was, if I was gambling this game, I, I don't know. I, I would be, I'd be really tempted to, to put a lot on OU minus the points. I, Lee, I, Kansas State, it, it wasn't, Tulane didn't get lucky beating Kansas State. They beat them. I mean, it was just, it was, Tulane was better. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> if, and if and you yeah. go look at the SP plus win expectancy, Tulane had like an 80% win expectancy with their stats against K-State. You know, and, and is this Tulane team, is it a much better team than last year's team, which wasn't a very good team at all? Like, what did Tulane finish? Like, I'm sure Tulane's good. I'm, I'm sure Tulane is a really good group of five team this year. They're probably what, what people expected them to be last year, this year. So, yeah, we were, we were hoping they'd end up being a bowl team last year, and but I, don't, I don't believe they were. At, its, <laughs> at, at, at their best, though, that, that means, Lee, and, and I'm, I'm thinking of like SP plus here, that puts them maybe 50th in the country, maybe between 40 and 50 in the country. Goodness, you know what Tulane's uh, record was a season ago? Do you, they were 2-10, and 10, weren't they? Yeah, they were, man. You're a college football savant. Two go back and, and watch. Go go. You go watch the Tulane K State game. A lot of lot of familiar names for Tulane. <laughs> yeah, I noticed obviously the quarterback. I noticed a couple other receivers. Like, yeah, those names sound familiar. All right, let's. Uh, yeah, I I don't really have a. I'm with you. I think if. I think if you're gonna bet this game, I. I I, I bet OU. I'd, I'd lay the points under two touchdowns. I think OU's playing so well right now, and I wouldn't trust Kansas State's offense. So really what you're doing is you're, you're betting. If you're going to go the other way, you're betting that Kansas State's defense is going to be real salty and keep it a low-scoring game. That's what you're betting. And, and also you're betting that you know, Kansas State's got a really great coaching staff, and offensively they're, they're going to figure some things out against Brent Venables' defense, which is certainly possible. Uh, that's what you're betting on. But also Colin Klein is, is a new play caller, as you pointed out. Uh, and again, I, I kind of like the omen of the last time Brent Venables faced K-State. Colin Klein was a quarterback, and, and Oklahoma had no problems in that game. <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> One of those uh, pieces of information that you hear it, and you like it because it definitely benefits whatever narrative you want to have happen for the game. Yeah, I, I, kind of where I am right now is I, you know, you'd be totally forgiven for thinking that OU is going to roll on Saturday. I, You know, I... Based off of what we've seen so far through the first three weeks, that to me seems like the most likely situation to happen. But my, you know, I'm still on alert for this one because of OU's history with Kansas State, especially some of the players on this team as well. Chris Kleiman's a good coach. Deuce Vaughn is the best player that they've seen this year. And, you know, Anaduke Izama is also. Those are the two best players they've seen this year just in general. I think that's worth something. I think Kansas State having a good coaching staff is worth something. It wouldn't shock me if they put a huge scare into OU. It would take some turnovers and some and a really good defensive performance by them, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think just based off what we know right now, I, OU really should win this game comfortably. And uh, to be fair and to play devil's advocate on a, a narrative that we've talked about a lot on this show over the last year, Dylan Gabriel against good defenses. Historically, not great. And this will be by far the best defense he's seen in the last in the, you know, the first four games. How is he going to play? 
maybe he hasn't turned the ball over yet because really he hasn't played a good defense yet. And now he's got to face a, a competent, really good team. Maybe that's going to be one of those things where we're a quarter and a half in and we're like, man, uh, you and I are kind of like, guys, this is kind of what we were worried about with Dylan Gabriel. We were telling you, like, the numbers look good, but the play on the field, there's some things that are off. Like, now we're kind of seeing the downsides to it. I mean, that's I certainly, was, yeah. certainly possible. If I was K-State, I'd be up at the line of scrimmage everywhere, trying to knock everyone off their routes, not giving anyone any space whatsoever. That's how I would play it. We'll see if they do. I, if, they, if they come out giving OU a lot of space early on, it, it may be good night, Irene. I... <laughs> I, I just I, I don't I, I think that's how you're going to beat this OU offense is just going up and challenging the receivers, being physical with them. We'll see if K State is willing to do that. We'll see if they're capable of doing it. All right, good stuff. Let's talk Big Twelve football now. West Virginia is at Va Tech. That's a Thursday night game. Don't have any thoughts on that one, do you? Uh, no. I mean, two. It looks like two pretty bad football teams. Um, yeah, West Virginia. I you would think should win. I think you know they've they've been better than Virginia Tech this year in in the limited action we've seen. But uh, I mean Neil Brown's pretty much a dead man walking at this point in time. So I, who who knows how West Virginia is gonna is gonna react? How crazy is it that West Virginia might be the worst team in the Big Twelve? I mean, because Kansas is now competent. The Jayhawks, man. We'll just go to that team, that game. KU hosting Duke. Kansas is 3-0. and Kansas is a seven-point home favorite. And I want to say I saw a stat somewhere, and you probably know this as well, so fact-check me. It's like the first time KU has been favored against a Power 5 team since, I believe, 2009. Did you see that number? Yeah, it sounds stat? about right. Sounds about right. And I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen Kansas play yet. I, just, I see their offensive statistics, and whatever they're doing on offense must be awesome because they are lighting up the scoreboard. Have you seen Kansas play at all yet? I really haven't, no. All I know is that uh, Jalen Daniels leads the country in QBR. If you, if you put this any just stock shows you how that. It just shows you how important coaching is, right? Like, my God, we've seen that guy play before. Like, I think Jaden, was, was he the guy that OU kind of killed in 2020 in Norman? Yeah, it looks like, like he they, they, they like kind of popped his hip out of its socket. That's what it looked like to me when it happened. Yeah. Because they had a different quarterback last year in 2021. He wasn't playing. I don't know if he was injured or he got benched or what. Because there was a different they guy absolutely playing quarterback beat him last up year. in 2020 in Norway. They sacked him like nine times or something like that. Man. We're going to save Baylor and Iowa State for our picks. Uh, TCU at SMU. That's a pretty interesting matchup. TCU is a two-point road favorite. And you know, after Kansas State, that's who OU has, right? They got TCU in Fort Worth. I know what uh, – I think – I think TCU is unbeaten so far. Are they three and zero or two and zero? Nah, they're two and zero. They had a bye last week. Yeah, that, that early bye. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean TCU. Like, we'll see what they turn out to be. Kind of. I mean they 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 played one of the worst Power Five teams in the country, Colorado, and then they played an FCS team. So I don't think we know anything about TCU yet. We'll learn something against SMU, maybe. I think Lee, we can now that Duke and Kansas are are both three and zero this year and have both beaten Power Five teams. I think we can pretty safely say that Colorado is the worst Power 5 team. What about... Okay, yeah, Power 5, Power 5. Yeah, we had this discussion. I, I was no, no, not, not an entire... New Mexico State is by far the worst yep. team in the country, but Colorado, probably yep. the worst Power 5 team. Yes, yes, I think you're right about that. 
And finally, uh, interesting Big 12 matchup. Texas is on the road at Texas Tech. The Longhorns are a six-and-a-half-point road favorite. Uh, Tech let us down last week, Grant. You and I were both on Tech plus the 10 against NC State, and uh, nope, didn't happen. I don't know how much you were watching. I was able to watch kind of the end of that game, and Tech had the football trying to, trying to go through the back door late. So, you know, real exciting stuff, but they, they couldn't get it. So uh, Joey McGuire's bunch coming off a – road loss to nc state home as, as a home dog against texas who i, I saw the, the score against utsa i know i think texas ended up covering but it was kind of back and forth who knows i mean i looking at that number like the fact that it's under a full touchdown kind of makes me think that i would if i bet it i'd bet i'd take texas probably uh, i'd sure would love it to get give me one extra point give me the you know give me the seven and a hook then i'd probably take tech but uh, not that we're picking that game. But those are you know, sometimes in these games, I haven't done a whole lot of research. I just look at the number. I like the betting number, and I kind of just make my opinions based off of that. But uh, you might have some more actually football-related thoughts on this matchup or not. I don't know. Uh, no, I like Tech straight up. I think Tech's going to win. Huh? Oh, throw it on the money line. Yep. So I like them straight up. Uh, very going to be very similar to their the 2020 COVID game where where Texas went into to Lubbock the week before OU Texas and. And lost a crazy game because they couldn't stop a nosebleed. And I'm, I'm still just not, I'm not quite buying the defense yet. All right, let's go to our picks. We always pick five games every week. And you know what? If you listen to West of Everest and you've bet every one of our picks this year, you've made some money because both you and I were each overall 10 and 5 through three weeks. Last week, you and I were each 3 and 2. Pretty good start to the year. That's really good. 66% through three weeks. Wow. We're uh, pretty good at this. You think, uh, yeah, if we, uh, if we keep that up the rest of the year, we're going to be, uh, be sitting pretty. The greatest gamblers of the, in the world. Like nobody, bet, nobody makes picks at 66%. <laughs> that's, a, that's insane. All right, let's start in the ACC. Number five, Clemson. A seven-point road favorite at Wake Forest. I've only seen Clemson play. I, I couldn't tell you what the heck Wake Forest is doing this year. I don't even know. So this is one of those things where I'm going to see a number and i got to play a number. Clemson can't score, or they have, they have trouble scoring. But even though I think DJ Ilungalele, I think they ended up putting up some late points last week. Now they're on the road against Wake Forest. I know Wake Forest always kind of has a, a tendency to put up some decent points, but I don't know if they really score that much against Clemson. So... Based off of the history of these these two teams, I think I would swallow the Clemson uh, minus seven points even on the road. Where are you on this? One? Yeah, I'm I'm on you there. This this game screams Clemson, uh, just trench annihilation to me. Um, <laughs> I I remember I I watched this game last season uh, pretty pretty intently because I was curious. Just that was back when Wake Forest was still undefeated with Sam Hartman putting up a lot of numbers, and then Clemson just physically manhandled them defensively. Uh, and it's very likely the same thing's going to happen here, I think. Okay, so Hartman's still there. All right, I'm looking at, you know, Wake Forest, they're putting up points again. They they played Vanderbilt. They just played They played Liberty. They played Liberty in a shootout. Now you got Clemson, who, again, I mean, they're, at some point, I know it's kind of popular to think, are they going to go to this five-star freshman quarterback? But Maybe it's too early for that. We'll see. Uh, I mean, they put up 48 against Louisiana Tech, who's not not great. But uh, all right, so we're both on Clemson there. Next up, the Big 12 game we skipped over. Interesting matchup. It's it's two teams where I'm certainly low on this year. Number 17, Baylor, and I think maybe you are too. 
uh, at least maybe lower on one of these teams than the other. Baylor at Iowa State, and Iowa State's a two and a half point home favorite. If I, I wish it was three, Grant, because then I, I would gladly scoop up Baylor. I think I still will grab Baylor in the points. I think Baylor's a better team. I don't think Iowa State's all that great, but I also don't think Baylor's all that great. Uh, this could be, I mean, I, I don't know what the total is in this game. I'll look it up. I'm going to guess the total for this game's got to be under 50. <laughs> like, uh, how many points are going to be scored? I don't know. I'll, I'll check that out, but I'll, I'll grab Baylor plus the two and a half. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, this one's hard. I it's it's because it, Blake Shapin has been has been really bad the last two weeks. Um, and a lot of my you know a lot of my optimism on Baylor you know if if there was any this year was because I thought Blake Shapin was going to be a good player for them. It may not matter their skill positions; they're just not good at the skill positions. If the last two weeks or this season really so far any indication, um, I mean we saw we saw the same BYU defense that that Baylor really struggled to move the ball on the ground through the air against, just get annihilated by Oregon. I, I, I just don't know if that bodes well for Baylor, but also at the same time, I, I just, I'm, I don't think Iowa state that is, is that good either. I wait. So you're telling me that Baylor losing basically all of their good skill position players was a problem. You, What's a problem? I thought, like, you know, I thought it would be okay because they were going to upgrade at quarterback and they brought back everyone on their offensive line. And you know, losing, I mean, I guess the defense has been good. Right, I mean, but I mean, so that's still, what, yeah. They, they I mean, this some... this game's a rock fight. This is going to be a rock fight. The, the final score of this game is going to be like seventeen to fourteen. Well, the total is forty-five and a half, so uh, that's a little higher than I thought it'd be. I thought it'd be closer to forty. So that might be a, that might be a, an, an under fire right there. On I'll that take. I might have I, that I'll take Iowa State. Iowa State. I'm, I I I think their defenses are probably pretty similar in quality, and I, Iowa State. You know, Xavier Hutchinson has shown the ability to actually make plays down the field this year. I I don't know I don't know if Baylor anyone on Baylor has done the same thing. Iowa State also being at home. You also have Baylor coming off of, of a season where, you know, it went their way in a lot of one score games a season ago and eventually that's gonna that's gonna even out for them. Iowa State, you know, those games didn't go their way a season ago. Unless this is a game that Baylor only wins if they are just if they are just defiantly better than Iowa State in every single facet, I'm not sure that they are. To the Pac-12, really interesting matchup. Washington State's playing some good football so far this year. The Cougars are at home against number 15 Oregon, and Oregon is a six and a half point road favorite. Oregon coming off a couple of couple of nice wins, right? And now they're on the road. I I feel like this this Almost seems I shouldn't say a couple. They that they, they're coming off a win over BYU. Okay. Like before that they played Eastern Washington, which Eastern Washington traditionally is a pretty good FCS program. I'm not sure if this year they're great or not, but they did uh, they they demolished Eastern Washington. So you got Oregon coming off a big home win over BYU, now going on the road, opening up Pac twelve play as a as a road favorite. I, I mean I think this it's almost seems too easy, but I'm gonna fall for it and grab the the home dog, Washington State. I'll go the opposite direction. I got I, yeah, I, I, mean, I got to stay strong behind my Pac-12 pick, man. Well, the, the handicap, I think, for this, for Oregon is simply, I mean, Oregon unfortunately played the best team in college football in week one, and that sucks. They got their, their butts kicked, but Oregon's actually a really good team, and if they don't play Georgia, they can come out and whip people around, or you know, whip people. That's probably the handicap there. 
Uh, but Washington State's shown the ability to be competent this year, and I know their quarterback is somebody that people like a lot. Going on the road and beating Wisconsin, that's that's a pretty solid win. Now you get them at home against Oregon. They're not, they're not going to uh, – they're obviously going to be uh, a lot of focus against Oregon coming off – you know, Oregon just coming off a, uh, a big win. So uh, I, I love the full touchdown. I wish it was seven and not six and a half, but uh, I'll take the dog. Yeah, if this Washington is a fun State matchup. wins that game, that makes makes the Pac-12 pretty interesting because right now you got – I mean, right now I think the Pac-12 is interesting. I mean, you have a, you have a threesome there of, of Utah, USC, and Washington now that I think is actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, the, the top of that conference is probably better than it has been in a long time. Add Oregon to that mix – or did I just say Oregon? Add Washington State to that mix. And, and all five you know of those what? teams. That's interesting. And, I mean, I guess we'll be able to know more after Saturday. Maybe add Oregon State to that mix. They're playing USC in Corvallis. Kind of an interesting matchup. Uh, but uh, so far, USC has passed, you know, passed its tests. Uh, okay, more picks. We got two more to go. Number 10, Arkansas, who was uh, put on upset alert by FCS Missouri State last week. I mean, that game went into the fourth quarter. I think Arkansas was losing. Ended up coming back and winning. Taking on Texas A&M. A&M is a one-and-a-half point favorite. This game is always played at Jerry World in Arlington. Essentially a pick em. I think uh, in this particular matchup, Arkansas just had a scare. I, I think they're a better football team than A&M. I don't know why the heck they played Missouri State so bad. Maybe that was the fact that they were looking ahead to A&M or something. And also, I'm blanking on who's the... Missouri State's head coach. He came back. Petrino. You know, Arkansas. But, you know, Bobby Petrino, you know, who knows? Like, there's a lot around there. So, I'll gladly uh, grab the point and a half and take Arkansas. But, I mean, this is like one of those situations, though, where you get the unranked team as a favorite. They're not at home. I mean, th- there's not really much of a home field advantage for A&M in this game. I've been to this game a couple of times. It's it's pretty much like there's there's not really any home field advantage either way. So, I, I'll, I'll grab the, the point and a half. What, are you, what about you? Yeah, I like Arkansas here too. A lot of the same reason. I, you know, I'm not Texas A&M is not good on offense. Arkansas is pretty good on offense. Easy handicap. We both absolutely nailed the A&M over Miami pick last week. It felt pretty good about that one. Oh, and also uh, we didn't. You know, I I was very happy to see Washington just absolutely destroy and take care of Michigan State. Love that. Love to see Mel Tucker take the L on that one. Really happy that game played out that way. That was good. Uh, but yeah, Washington, you, know, you mentioned Washington a moment ago. Just, I, I just kind of remembered that. So we're both on Arkansas. Uh, oh, okay, here we go. Lastly, I guess I brought this game up. I forgot I had this game in the picks. Number seven, USC. Six and a half point road favorite at Oregon State. And my handicap for this is, is simple. Uh, my, he- uh, you know, my heart, I'd love, I'd love to grab Oregon State as a, as a home dog. I'd love to see USC get beat here. You know, before the season began, I was pretty bullish on my USC under nine and a half. USC under nine and a half wins. And the way USC's playing right now, Grant, I mean, they've gotten through the first, you know, Rice, Stanford, Fresno State. If USC doesn't lose at least one of the next three games or, you know, two of the next four, I think I can go ahead and kiss my uh, under bet goodbye because the lat- latter half of USC season, not great. Uh, they they play some bad teams, and so it's 
I, I, I need to have USC start losing some games or else my ticket might be uh, not cashed. But uh, I will say that, though, you'd be crazy to bet against USC right now. They're 3-0 against the spread. They're covering like crazy. Somehow the defense statistically is not great, but they're holding teams down. They're getting turnovers at opportune times. And USC's offense is insane. It's, it's so good. So begrudgingly, I hope I'm wrong about this. I, I want to get this pick wrong, and I want to get it wrong in, in the fact that USC not only loses – uh, or not only doesn't cover, but they lose straight up. But for the purposes of this, using my brain, you take USC minus six and a half. Yeah, I think USC is the play here too. Um, I think taking Oregon State here is, at least if I were to do it, it's the same as you. would be going with my heart, not my head. My head says that um, I like, you know, a lot, of, a lot of me, you know, not being super bullish on USC this year was predicated on the thought is I didn't think that they would, I didn't think that they would have you know, the elite of the elite offenses right away. I thought they'd really struggle in the trenches. Nah, I mean, they, you know, outside Ohio State, they probably have the best offense in college football. I hate to say it. It's just when you have the best quarterback in the country thrown to the best wide receiver in the country, your offense is going to be really good. I, you know, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. And um, it may not matter that their defense sucks. Uh, they're, they're, absolutely, they're absolutely a threat to win the Pac-12 I still think them going into Utah is going to be a huge struggle for them because Utah can execute the the formula that gives Lincoln Riley teams fits. But I, I don't I don't I don't think this is the I don't think this is the team that's gonna that's gonna do it in the situation. It's gonna be much more of a team like Utah and Washington, not not Oregon State. Yeah, I mean Oregon State a season ago bullied USC. And so that kind of makes me think, okay. What if they can do it again this year? But at the same time, Stanford was kind of like that a year ago, and USC took care of Stanford this year. I mean, Stanford's a bad football team, but they, they weren't a good football team last year either. Fresno, I know their their quarterback, Hayner, was injured. Once that happened, that game was over. Unfortunately, you know, he, I think he was injured, was it early third quarter or late second quarter? Uh, I, really bad injury. Uh, he's, he'll be out for the year, I believe. I, I'm sure there's news on that I never saw, but I – the injury looked bad. I don't know. If, were you watching that game? Did you see it? I haven't seen. I don't. I have no way of watching the Pac-12 network, so I haven't seen a single second of that game, unfortunately. Well, that game wasn't on the Pac-12 network. It was like on ABC or something. Oh, was or it? Or ESPN. Yeah, it was, or it was on ESPN, yeah. Maybe it's it maybe on. it's this week's game that's on the Pac-12 network. And yeah, I can't, I can't yeah, it watch is. it. Yeah, this week's game's on the Pac-12 network. So that was kind of depressing. Whenever uh, Jake Hayner was injured for Fresno State, that's you kind of knew the game was over and Fresno State was still kind of within striking distance when that happened kind of making it interesting and then it was like all right well well USC still won that game by 28 points despite giving up seven yards per play on defense so man that is just their defense is bad like really bad I'm looking at the even without Hayner so Hayner went out they ended up Fresno was able to score a touchdown with a backup to cut it to 28 to 17 in the third quarter with a lot of time left. And of course, USC scored a bunch of like touchdown, touchdown field goal in their drives. Fresno State had three more possessions the rest of the game, and it ended with a missed field goal, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. So, I mean, they're obviously going for touchdowns. So, like, they got the ball. Oh, wow. They, they made a. They made a fourth down stop at the USC one. They st- didn't give up a touchdown. So it's like the USC defense is classic coming through 
Like bend, but don't break. Like bend a lot, but don't break. <laughs> like can that continue all season long? Yeah, I guess it, it actually probably can, which is really frustrating. It's really frustrating, actually. Nah, I mean, they're, they're, the rate of turnovers they're getting, that's not sustainable. That's just not. True. I think they forced two more, maybe even three more against Fresno State. Let me just double check real quick as we wind down this West of Everest episode. They forced two turnovers against Fresno. So, you know, not the, not, you know, no pick sixes this time. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe that turnover luck will end and maybe Oregon State will keep the ball clean and Oregon State will control time of possession and just kind of pound the rock and keep Caleb Williams off the field. And USC can get that first loss of the year and I'll feel pretty good about my under nine and a half bet. Any final thoughts, Grant? No, nah, I'm just uh, excited for another week of college football, man. What a what a great season it's been so far. I'm I'm I've watched way more college football this year than I have, you know, through three weeks last year. At this point, it's just been uh, it's been good. I'm really looking forward to it. I've uh, totally lost my train of thought. I've totally lost That's my fine. train of thought in this thing now chance, before I'll- I ramble more. I'll buy you some time. I, I just realized I didn't, didn't recap our picks. Not that uh, I really need to, but just in case. Because we are 10-5, and five, each of us, so far this year. Clemson, we're both on Clemson, minus 7 at Wake Forest. Baylor at Iowa State. Grant is on Iowa State, minus 2.5. I am taking the 2.5 with Baylor. Oregon at Washington State. Grant is on the road favorite, Oregon Ducks, laying 6.5. I will... Uh, probably step into the trap and take the home dog Washington State plus six and a half and we are both on Arkansas catching a point and a half against Texas A&M playing at Jerry's World and we are both on USC as a road favorite laying six and a half in Corvallis against Oregon State even though that's one of those games where both of us would be very happy to be wrong about uh, but only if USC win, uh, loses straight up. Like I, I'd very much like USC to cover if they're going to win the game. <laughs> Put it that way. All right. Did you uh, maybe think about your last point? If not, uh, that's okay too. Nah, I just filibustering. I just love college football. Well, I'll put it this way. I'll end this, this. I mean, how annoying everything was and like everything felt off. And you've said many times about how even though OU won whatever it was, 11 games last year, or whatever, you know, it was like one of the worst seasons because of the way they played. Through three games this year, I mean, this has been a really fun team to watch. Really exciting. They've played really hard. They've played really consistent football. And Brent Venables has been everything we had hoped. He, I texted you this earlier this week. He didn't respond, so I don't know. Like, like, he's, he's not just been a home run hire so far. He's been a grand slam hire. And so that's not always going to be the case, I'm sure. Like, things will happen. But so far through three games and everything, I mean, it's been it's – been, pretty much perfect <laughs> and like sure they're gonna lose a game they're not supposed to lose like that's it's football like it's it's gonna happen blah 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 but man like at least we have this moment where i where everything is rolling for brent venables and it's it's so cool to see that you know a lot of things that we were talking about in the off season and having all the hope and stuff it's not crazy i mean at least so far yeah i mean it's i mean perfect week to keep it rolling too i mean you have I mean, one of the things we didn't even mention once when we were handicapping the OUK State game, Lee, is that OU's playing at home at night. They don't have to. They don't have to worry about the road. It's not a like I, I don't know why that that wasn't part of our handicap at all. But I mean, that's that's a big part of it as well. I mean, it's going to be you got an offense coming in there that just has not been able to complete forward passes, playing in front of a, a you know hopefully a really 
a really keyed up home night crowd for OU. And I, and I think I, I'm sure the crowd is going to be pretty fired up after last week, and then, a, and then an actual like they actually we actually got a night game, a Big Twelve night game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The crowd will be fired up. That's a great point. How could they not be? I, I, and that's a big thing about Brent Venables, right? I remember him talking about how the everyone's got to do their part in this program. We talked about it on the podcast. The fans got to do their part. The support staff's got to do their part. Everyone's got to do their part. And so far, the players and the coaches have totally held up their end of the bargain. So up to the fans. Night game. See some light show type stuff probably at some point. Uh, yeah, should be fun. Hopefully they play well, and I expect them to. And if they don't, then uh, we'll just totally, uh, you know, we'll just delete this podcast and I think it never happened. No, nah, if they play if they play poorly, we'll get on here on Sunday morning. We'll just rip them all to shreds. Ooh, yes. Yes, we will let our emotions out via the microphone. All right, that'll do it for us today. We'll be back after OUK State uh, and, uh, you know, Hopefully we're talking about a positive game and not a, uh, wow, this, uh, this feels a lot like when Lincoln Riley was the coach and they just laid a giant egg because that happened way too much against Kansas State. Uh, but uh, we'll see. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.